Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where we share our latest insights on recent developments in politics and policy in the UK, Europe and internationally. Today, we're looking at the UK government Brexit strategy with Senior Director Stephen Adams and Senior Associate Joe Armitage. So it's been quite a difficult summer for the Prime Minister. You know, she expected people to rally behind her position on Brexit that was agreed at Chequers, but that doesn't seem to have happened. And you've got various different groupings in the Conservative Party now railing against her proposal. Clearly, the UK Parliament's going to have a huge role in deciding the type of Brexit that we get. Do you see any way through all of this? Uh, uh, well, it's certainly the case, Joe, that um, the Prime Minister comes back from her summer break uh, to uh, confront the reality that it's not in any respect clear how she gets her preferred Brexit strategy through the UK Parliament. And it's worth just reminding ourselves why this matters. It matters because the key uh, political outcome of the passing of the withdrawal bill um, earlier in the year was the success in Parliament or the success of Parliament in amending that legislation to ensure that the, legisl that the legislature has a, has a decisive role in approving uh, whatever strategy the Prime Minister ultimately decides to pursue. And that's the case whether she comes back from Brussels with an agreement that she wants, she wants to pass or whether she chooses to try and walk away from the negotiation or uh, if she fails to do uh, either by January the 21st next year, in, in which case she has to come back to Parliament and clarify and receive parliamentary support for her her, 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 her preferred course of action. I think that the, the key thing we need to remember is that what we're, what we're talking about here is, is not Parliament's views on a future relationship with the EU. So, so not actually Parliament's views per se on every detail of the model that was set out at Chequers and in the subsequent white paper, but Parliament's views on the substance of a withdrawal agreement with the with the EU. And, and so is this the point about how you've got the withdrawal agreement, which is legally binding on the three core issues of the Irish border, the money and citizens' rights, and then attached to that is the political declaration that isn't going to be legally binding, but it's a declaration of what the future relationship might be, but it doesn't lock in what it's going to be, because obviously that's subject to negotiation uh, with a view to agreeing a free trade agreement. Right. Is this what you're alluding that's, to? That, that's exactly right. So what Parliament is going to vote on is going to be a combination of some very concrete UK commitments on money, citizens' rights, and crucially, what happens in Northern Ireland and on the Northern Ireland-Irish border, and a set of um, uh, more general but non-binding uh, commitments on the negotiation in the longer term of, a, uh, of an economic and, uh, and security partnership between the EU and the UK. And it's above all, it's, the, it's, the, it's what the Prime Minister proposes to do on Northern Ireland, I think, that's going to be the crux of this issue in Parliament. Because it's, as, as people will be aware, that the key question here is the extent to which the UK essentially commits to leaving Northern Ireland in a regulatory union and a customs union with the EU if it proves impossible to avoid a hard border between Northern Ireland and the Irish Republic. And at the moment, the, the key uh, open question in Brussels is how you do that or even if it's possible. And assuming 
that the answer to that question is going to be uh, either to leave Northern Ireland or the whole UK temporarily in a regulatory union and a customs union with the EU while the border issue is resolved, that will be a real problem for conservative Eurosceptics who want a clean break, uh, who want a, a, an assured um, uh, future outside the EU based on a looser relationship, because what they'll see themselves being offered is a trap that keeps them locked into the EU with no obvious way of, uh, locked into EU regulation and EU trade policy with no obvious way of, of getting out. And Theresa May's number one challenge actually isn't to win parliamentarians over to her vision of the future relationship. It's to win them over to this question of how to manage the Northern Irish backstop question. So I think that's what we need to be watching. Um, and needless to say, that's, that, that's the case both in Brussels and in London. Can, can the government secure a, uh, an agreement with the EU on how to handle Northern Ireland? And then can it pass that, that agreement through, um, through, through the Westminster Parliament uh, probably early, early next year? And as, um, as I think it's becoming increasingly clear, the numbers look very, very difficult. So the Europeans have got their own interpretation of the backstop. You know, the EU is arguing that it should be applicable only to Northern Ireland. And the Prime Minister initially in December, when it was agreed to progress with the negotiations, said that no British Prime Minister could accept that solution. And it had to be applicable to the whole of the UK uh, if it's going to be delivered. And, and I guess the particular uh, reservation she has about that is the DUP, who she's in a coalition with, and obviously they're very reticent about the prospect of having um, the Northern Irish part of the United Kingdom separate to the United Kingdom and outside of essentially the UK's own single market. Um, so how do you think that's going to be reconciled? Well, that's, I mean, you, you've, you've identified the basic problem, which is that how you fudge this issue or how you fix it, if you're more optimistic, is, is a really genuinely problematic issue. It's possible, I suppose, that the government comes back from Brussels with an agreement that allows it to suggest that the Northern Ireland and the UK are treated separately, that this does involve some new checks on trade between Northern Ireland and the, the rest of the UK. But I, I think that would, be, that would be incredibly problematic. I think it would be problematic, to be honest, even if the government wasn't dependent on the DUP and Northern Irish votes. I, I think it's more likely uh, that um, Brussels and, and, and London attempt to find some way of essentially keeping the whole UK in a regulatory and customs union for for, for as long as it takes to resolve the hard border question, but this will need to address some problems that Brussels has about how exactly you manage the legal basis for that and how you make sure that the UK isn't essentially getting a, a, a trade deal without a proper negotiation on it. But I think you know when, we, when we're looking ahead to how these kind of issues move through Parliament uh, later in the year or more likely early next year, we need to remind ourselves that MPs won't just be voting on the specifics of the, 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 the May package, assuming she, that she can secure one. They'll, they'll be voting on what they think will happen if they reject it. And I think ultimately when, when, when we're trying to calculate how this is going to play out, we need to be thinking about what parliamentarians will be assuming 
is the result if they reject this withdrawal agreement. Now, I mean, there are a number of, number of outcomes that, of course, could result from an impasse with, with Parliament uh, in the new year. Um, one is obviously potentially no deal with the EU, essentially by accident. Um, another is uh, the government threatening essentially that if it can't pass um, the package that it wants, that it will go back to Brussels and essentially ask for some combination of EEA membership plus customs union essentially as an emergency measure to ensure uh, the, the, that a disruptive no-deal Brexit is avoided. It could, of course, be instructed uh, to seek such an outcome by Parliament. You can't, you know, that's, that's not Im- impossible. It's possible, of course, that Parliament could instruct the Prime Minister uh, to put her, um, her, her preferred option to a second referendum. There's a very wide range of possibilities. And um, understanding that this is not just about what parliamentarians say they would prefer today, but calculating what they will prefer when these choices are crystallised early next year is the key to understanding how and if it's possible to get this through Parliament. And is this the point about how you've got the issue of the Irish backstop, you've got the issue of potentially seeking to temporarily go into the EEA, and how that's presented is the most important thing? That's right. There are obviously... There, there are many reasons why you might think that temporarily parking the UK in the EEA and a customs union with the EU after Brexit makes sense. You, you might think it's just essentially a transitional step to negotiating the kind of looser relationship that many Brexiters favour. And I think, for example, that's, that's probably the view of, uh, of a politician like Michael Gove. It's certainly the view of a politician like, like Nick Bowles. Um, alternatively, there may be others who see it actually as a way of essentially keeping the UK as close to the EU as possible, pending a reversal of the Brexit decision. So you may have politicians coming together around this strategy for different reasons. I mean, we will, we will have to wait and see uh, to, to, to some extent. But it, again, it does just remind us that when we're, when we're thinking through how this is going to play out, we, we need to think about the calculus that politicians will make about what happens if they say no to any deal that the Prime Minister brings back. Joe, let me turn this around and just ask you a question, actually. I mean, clearly, we're describing a Prime Minister in a very precarious situation. Uh, I mean, in any normal circumstance, we would say a Prime Minister in this sort of situation was a goner. That clearly is not your view. Uh, Tell us why not. Well, I think, I guess there are three reasons for that, and you've already alluded to it. You know, it's a very precarious situation, and in fact, a very undesirable situation to be in. Who would want to be Prime Minister right now, having to negotiate with a pretty intransigent EU, uh, and also the various different groupings within not only her own party, so the Jacob Rees-Mogg Brigade, ERG, etc., but also the DUP uh, and their position and having to placate all of these different groupings. That is not a particularly desirable task right now. And so I think the view amongst those who do harbour ambitions for the Conservative leadership and ultimately Prime Minister is that doing that role in the midst of the Article 50 period and i.e. before March would not really be a great goal. So your expectation would be no serious challenge to May's leadership until the UK is out of the EU? I think, I think that's the calculation that some are making. So you've got this disagreement 
uh, between people like Boris Johnson and Michael Gove. Uh, the latter, Michael Gove, thinks that it's probably preferable to wait until after the Article 50 period is over, and I, the UK is outside the EU, so that we cannot extend the transition, we can't go back in the EU, and at that point we can have a more substantive conversation about the future relationship that the UK will have with the EU. Whereas Boris Johnson thinks that we should do it within the Article 50 period framework and that checkers ought to be opposed. The Prime Minister should change tack uh, and argue for what he describes as a proper Brexit because, as he says, we haven't even tried. Um, so you've got this tussle within the Conservative Party. But I think you know, the Boris question is obviously a huge one at the moment. He's resigned over checkers uh, and he's now sort of almost campaigning to be Prime Minister again through his column in The Telegraph. He's taken on uh, Sir Linton Crosby, the campaign manager who ran his two successful London mayoral campaigns. So it's clear that he really harbours our ambitions. But back to my first point, which is the desirability of the role of Prime Minister, he probably doesn't want to take it on right now. Uh, and actually, he probably could trigger a vote of no confidence in the Prime Minister. He's probably got 48 uh, backers in the Conservative Parliamentary Party who'd be prepared to trigger that. But then you've got the second barrier, which is 159, i.e. a majority of Conservative MPs voting against the Prime Minister in that no-confidence vote in order to trigger the leadership election. And I think his calculation is that he doesn't have the 159 Conservative MPs willing to get behind him at this particular juncture because people just really do not want to open this wound uh, right now uh, and, and campaign on Brexit and what the deal should be within the Article 50 period. They'd rather have Theresa May uh, take all of the blame if it goes spectacularly wrong. But it does seem to me that that reminds us that one of the key things about getting the May package through Parliament is going to be the extent to which Conservative MPs feel that the fight for the precise nature of the future relationship is not yet won or lost. And if they feel that the May strategy gets them out of the EU, gets them out of the coverage of the treaties, gets them out of uh, ECJ jurisdiction without locking them in to the precise detail of a future relationship, they may be willing to, to, to back it as the best way to ultimately get what they want in the long run. One last question for you. Second referendum, is it going to happen? Yes or no? If yes, why? I don't think a second referendum will happen. I think because the Prime Minister, as she set out last weekend in, in an article in, in The Telegraph, she doesn't want a referendum. She says it would be a betrayal of democracy. You can't really envisage a scenario where that particular Prime Minister, Theresa May, uh, is going to roll over uh, and renege on, on that particular position. Um, I think a general election is more likely in this Armageddon scenario of the House of Commons not being willing to endorse the withdrawal agreement. Um, and we already saw the chief whip, for example, in the trade bill uh, as it was going through the House of Commons, threatened to pull it if MPs, Conservative MPs, voted against uh, particular amendments to the trade bill that the government didn't favour uh, and introduce instead of the trade bill uh, a vote of no confidence in the government. Uh, and that could have precipitated uh, a general election. So I think that threat will be made and that might be sufficient, particularly if the deal being presented is ambiguous enough for all people on the Brexit debate to buy into it. I think that, that you will be able to avoid a general election, although it may well be threatened, 
because MPs will ultimately come round and, and realise that they don't want to face a general election, particularly Conservative MPs, uh, who would fear potentially uh, a Jeremy Corbyn government. Does Labour ultimately come out for a second referendum? I think that's incredibly unlikely. Obviously, they've got a lot of pressure for uh, doing so from, from the unions uh, right now. Uh, but ultimately, the judgment of the Labour leadership, uh, i.e. Jeremy Corbyn and the team around him, is that they want to play two sides of the same coin, essentially, as they did in the recent uh, general election uh, last year. Uh, because they know that the hard numbers suggest six out of ten uh, Labour constituencies voted to leave the EU. Uh, and so to take uh, a position of having a second referendum on Brexit as a political party uh, would potentially be problematic for a large number of his own uh, Labour MPs. Uh, and it's just another issue that could potentially be uh, cited as a division amongst the Labour parliamentary party because it's very unlikely that his MPs would rally behind him uh, and endorse his position that there should be a second referendum. So plenty of UK uncertainty. For more insights, blogs and analysis, you can visit our website, www.global-council.co.uk and subscribe to our mailing list. You can also follow us on Twitter at global underscore council.